because the older I get, Raghu, the more I realize being a good therapist has nothing to do <laughs> with all these acronyms behind my name. <laughs> But she didn't, she, I don't even think my grandmother, I know she didn't graduate from high school, but she had a degree in, in the soul. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's Raghu and... Sabrina and Jai, and Sabrina is back on the podcast at my bequest, and uh, I'm really happy to have you. Welcome. Thank you, Raghu. I'm happy to be here. Just to remind people just a little bit, uh, Sabrina works with Jim Gordon on just critical work in our times Mm -hmm. around trauma, Mm -hmm. and... uh, so there are so many things to gather and assimilate in these podcasts that I've done a couple with Jim and I've done something with you and now we're doing something again. Uh, so I can't more highly recommend getting these little tips that will help us navigate some tough stuff that we all of us are going through one way or the other. There, you, you cannot be immune unless... Your heart is totally closed off. Uh, So let's, I'll just say that Sabrina has a new book coming out in the summer. And she was gracious enough to let me see a chapter and get an idea of what the book is so we could talk a little bit about it on the podcast. And uh, so I started to say before we got on to Sabrina, I I started reading in the middle of my day kind Mm. of a thing. So your attention span, usually with anything that's a work-related thing, you're you're going boop, 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 like that. (laughs) Yeah, I could not do that with this. Oh. Um, And it was really tough. So, Sabrina, I'd I'd like you to just characterize um, particularly this extraordinary relationship that you're writing a book about with your grandmother. Mm. Um, and can you just, yeah, tell us as much as you know, I, I'm curious as much as you know about how she was brought up and what those times were, what the time span was and, um, and, and that, you know, and the rest of it, that, that story was just profound. Oh, well, thank you, Raghu. And my book is called Big Mama Speaks, Love Lessons from a Harlem River Swan. And it is about my grandmother. Her name was Marion Briscoe, and she was a single mom. And she lived in Harlem. And uh, in the 1950s, she had six children and two very kind and very challenged brothers who were addicted to heroin. And the story is about how this one afternoon, changed the trajectory of my entire family. Mm. The police came to the door of my grandmother's home looking for one of her brothers who had committed a petty crime, put a gun to her head, and which led to her having a massive stroke. Um, 50 years after she was pronounced dead, 
she actually died. <laughs> and in the middle of those 50 years, she became a living, breathing teacher for anyone who really decided to sit down and see her. After the stroke, she lost her ability to speak, her ability to care for herself. She lost the custody of her children because she couldn't care for herself. And my mother, who was a teenager at the time, was born. I mean, my mother was became the primary caretaker of the family. She became the matriarch at 15, 16. And I was born a few years after that. So the book is about how I fell in love with this woman and then how I was blessed with the opportunity to care for her until she died after I was an adult. And then I didn't know what to do with all that grief. And so I started to write to her. And in these dialogues, she literally gave me a blueprint for how to live the rest of my life. Mm. <laughs> wow. that's, that's the nutshell of the yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. But the details, of course, that are there yeah. Uh, are are pretty extraordinary and horrifying. Oh. And it's not like this doesn't go on day to day. It is going on uh, as we speak, I'm sure. It's extraordinary that it keeps going on. This yes. abuse is unbelievable. And uh but but your description of it uh her with the children all around her and uh, is uh, is horrifying and really difficult. And uh, the but coming out of it mm-hmm. after she started to come out of it, she could have been paraphrasing Ramdas. Mm-hmm. She was saying, "I got fierce grace, basically, right?" Yes. And I yes. just and let me just read one. I mean, or character read. Maybe it's not word for word, but she started lis- listening mm-hmm. after the stroke. Mm-hmm. And but she was born with this gift, and God, she said, God blessed me with an avenue for deepening that skill. Before I even, well, let me finish. Strengthened it, strengthened the right side of her brain, right, and which is the part that doesn't get caught up in words. It's the part that's connected to spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, these are just that's what happened to Ramdas. I mean, he used to say it all the time. And he would invite mm. people to sit in the silence and sit yeah. in the space, you know. And, and that seems to be exactly what was happening with your grandmother. And, but can you talk about what that really means when we say mm. started listening? And that listening, she was born with that gift. What are we talking about? So we're talking about a lot of women's stories, a lot of people's stories, a lot of stories of humanity, a lot of um, challenges with sexism, with racism, with oppression, with poverty. And my grandmother came into this earth with all of those challenges. And a part of what she's telling me in that part of the book is, yes, I learned how to listen after the stroke but I knew how to listen before the stroke and the pre-stroke life that she was forced to live was very challenging. In addition to the poverty 
and all the addiction. Her mother struggled with schizophrenia. Her father struggled with alcoholism. And none of the men in her life stayed long enough to make make her, this beautiful soul, their wife. And what she was able to do is after the stroke, she forgave them all. And she even forgave the police officers that came to her house. And what she was able to do after her stroke, and I think that's what what Brother Ram Doss is is, is referencing, is she's able to sit with people and go past the noise of their appearance, past the noise of their degrees or their title and all that fluff. And she just went straight in. And strangers would come up to her and literally sit next to her and say, I don't know why the heck I'm telling you all of this. (laughs) (laughs) You're just this little old lady in the wheelchair. But Mm. she would lean in and she would listen. And you could feel like her whole body understanding and answering your plea or your call. And then she would give you this facial expression. And most of the time the expression was like, don't get caught. Don't get yourself caught in that story, my child. Don't get caught. And then she had this incredible infectious laugh. And so what she also taught me was after you finish crying and cry for as long as you need to, bring some joy in there, honey. Make, make, make sure that you know that life is both. And that's what she constantly modeled for me. Life is both. Life is hard. Life sucks. Trauma is going to happen. We're going to lose people. People are going to die. And also love is happening. Mm-hmm. And life is happening. And through sitting with her and writing with her, and I have this like crazy scribble scratch journal. And some days I would wake up and say, Big Mama, why is this, why is this earth so crappy? Why are people so cruel? And she would say something like, they're all our teachers, baby. <laughs> they're all mm, our teachers. Really? <laughs> and it would, sh- would change my heart and shift me from, from being in this place of judgment to moving into so much mercy and love and compassion. And what the book ends up demonstrating is a couple of things. One, how I was able to transform through knowing her. So each, each chapter is a lesson. It's a life lesson, a spiritual lesson. And also how I was able to apply her teachings to my therapy practice. Because the older I get, Raghu, the more I realize being a good therapist has nothing to do (laughs) with all these acronyms behind my name. (laughs) But she didn't, she, I don't even think my grandmother, I know she didn't graduate from high school, but she had a degree in, in the soul. <laughs> yeah, you you said, or she said, maybe she said this to you. You want to be a you want to do you want to be a better therapist or healer or a better human? She, <laughs> she did. She did. I mean that it's very profound. Uh, really, yeah. it's a simple statement, but uh, even. Even just talking about the simple things of of being on a path to enable oneself to absorb the 
and embody the peace, the love, the compassion, and so on, requires work. It requires a day-to-day commitment, and however that manifests for each person is a little different from meditation onwards. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I've said it many times in different situations because people talk about, okay, well, now we're going to get enlightened, (laughs) you know. And I'm like, just how about being a little bit kinder and a little bit more loving with whoever's around you? That That's going to be enlightened. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, so I, it, this, it resounds so much. Everything your grandmother, I would have loved to meet your grandmother. But in oh. another way, I met her through Ramdas. And, and there's so many similarities of what happened. Stroke, wheelchair, incapacitated, you, other people like pitying you because you need help, you know, all of the stuff that they both broke through. And yeah, uh, yeah no, just uh, amazing, amazing. And, and you know, I, I hope that you meet her through me. Mm. That is my goal is to, uh, when she died, her second death, I call her her second death in the book. You know, the first death was when she let go of her attachments and came out of her coma, this, this whole new creation. And the second death was when she physically left this, left her body. Um, but when I sat at her bedside for her second death, I said, I'm going to tell everybody your name. Mm. <laughs> everybody needs to know you. Mm. And uh, there's another chapter in which I describe her final moments and, um, and the beautiful simplicity of her death. And so I, my goal is for people to know her through me, mm. to, to people to say, Sabrina, how, how come you're always laughing when you see all these horrible things in the world? It's because I learned how to do that from her. How do you mm. go out there and meet people that just got shot and, and still hold them? How do you hang out with, with murderers and still give them love? It's because she told me to. <laughs> Oh, can you hear me now? Now I Sorry can. about that. That's I, okay. I muted myself as you were speaking. You can see my dog in the background, and now you can hear her. She's having a bad dream. She's exemplifying what. Oh, because from my about. land, she's not doing anything but but sitting there. She's her- sleeping, and you, you can hear her. You know, you've, you've heard dogs when they have a bad dream, they whimper. She's oh. been whimpering as you were saying. All the stuff about how can I be in this horror and still be be able to have the kind of equanimity that it calls for. And my grandmother told me, because along with suffering, there is joy. And around, along with uh, untoward behavior by us humans, there is a lot of love. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, yeah. no. Um, go no, ahead. it's fine. I'm, I'm with you. No, you, you nailed it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it is like, you. this is great. I'm going to have to wake her up or something. <laughs> um, so you had a guru period. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this is, seems no more or less than that. 
Yeah. And uh, whatever it's called, the the names, you know, we've we've screwed up a lot of the names, we have. <laughs> a lot of we the have. meaning behind the different words that we're trying to express. Uh, various like love, start there. Um, so, but that's very fortunate. You are very fortunate. I am very fortunate that mm-hmm. I you know, found Ramdas and he took me to his guru in India. Mm. Uh, what do we do here as just regular folks that you, this thing does manifest? Whatever we're talking about, a person who is manifesting um, this kind of wisdom, this kind of love, this kind of compassion... Uh, that it can happen in many different ways. It may not be localized in a in a human being, or it can be in, in a multiple human beings and teachers and so on. Uh, but how do we, how do we embody? It's a good question. How do we mm-hmm. learn to embody that love and and that uh, caring mm-hmm. that you were shown? Well, I think it begins with making a decision. Like, I want to live in a better way. I want to be a part of, of humanity. I want, I want my soul to sing. I want to live. I want to be free. Mm. And she, in the book, she constantly tells me, I want you to be free. I want you to be free. And the way to be free is to see the beauty in every situation. And the way to be free is to see the beauty in every human being even the ones that don't look pretty, even the ones that might wear a diaper. How many of us are willing to go and sit with someone who on the outer doesn't smell great, but on the inner, ah, it's just lavender and roses. Mm. Uh, How many of us are willing to um, hold and love and care for the discarded. Hmm. And I think when we make that decision to do that, in the absence of a teacher, the teacher that we need will also show up for us. But there has to be a longing, a calling out. And um, it happened to me when I found my Sufi teacher. And it also happened to me when my grandmother died. I, I mean, obviously I had this experience, this live physical experience of knowing her and being with her. But when she died, I was like, what in the world am I going to do? And there's a piece in the book that talks about, I call it when we met again. And I went to um, a, a course in imagery. And the teacher was leading us at an exercise. And she said, who wants to come up? And I said, I and I closed my eyes and boom, there she was. And from that day, from that, that, that sweet conversation I had with her, um, I just kept writing back. I knew I couldn't have that again. Like, you can't have amazing mystical experiences every, every day. But I knew that I could hold on to it through my journal. And I realized, oh, wait, we can still talk. She is still vibrantly alive. She can show me how to live this life. And I think... All of us have that person that we either knew or someone that we looked up to that is still waiting on the other side to guide us. Your guru wrote books. 
those books are are still living, breathing. They're they're not dead. <laughs> Just to clarify, mm. Ramdas never considered himself a guru. Was a teacher. That who is wrote true. Books. His guru, who is my guru, is Neem Karoli Baba, who never wrote a book or talk, did any lectures, talks, or anything like that. Ah, thank you for the clarification. And, no. and you see, it's how we play with the words too. I yeah. see guru, but you're absolutely right. He saw himself as a student of another guru. He saw himself as a, as a, a student and teacher at the yeah. same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's beautiful. Yeah. So those books are still alive. And mm-hmm. there's and 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 they move when we move. We see we see what's relevant at the most relevant point of our lives when we need to see it. And not a minute before. Right. Right on. Yeah. Absolutely. And not just that. Uh, it could be a piece of music. It could a chant or just a piece of music. Mm-hmm. It it could be getting together with people in one way or another in community we call sangha, satsang, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many different ways it happens. It happens in dreams. It's, uh, Absolutely. It's extraordinary. How I don't, did I ever tell you uh, my, how it first happened for me? No. Was somebody snuck me in. I'm from Montreal. I've told the story <laughs> a billion times. Everyone out there, you hear it again. Uh, <laughs> someone snuck me in as a 16-year-old to a uh, a club that served alcohol in Montreal. How I don't know how they did it or whatever, but there I was, John Coltrane. Mm. You had a John live. Coltrane concert. Yeah. Oh wow. A club thing though. So I wasn't mm-hmm. that far away. It wasn't like in a mm-hmm. big hall or anything. And uh and he played my favorite things on a soprano saxophone and I went out literally. I mean it just I was transformed in in the middle. I'm now I love music, and I'm you know easily transformed by the right piece of music. But mm. this was live and in the moment, so that did it. I mean, whatever you want to call what that was, it happened for me. Absolutely. And, and so these things can happen for everybody in many, many, many different ways. It is true. Um, but thanks to that which we don't know how to name that you are you are uh, connecting us with your grandma mhm really yeah yeah i wish there was a i wish there was a name i wish i had i do a pretty good job of describing that moment and there are very few words then there's a couple of times in my journal in which i write my fingertips were speechless <laughs> <laughs> that's great like they couldn't I couldn't even grasp the words to describe uh, what what happened to me in those moments and mm. I think I think all of us some of us struggle with searching for those moments or believing in those moments and I think it begins with us saying like hmm I'm going to open my heart to the possibility that there is beauty out there and the possibility that I can change. Mm. That's sort of the beginning, right? That's the beginning. Yeah. 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 That's the beginning. Well, and it's maybe uh, in my particular case, I was super unhappy and, uh, you know, living that the 
shall we say, unfortunate normal fear separation syndrome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so whenever that light shone itself, like the thing with Coltrane, that woke me up in a way, okay, there is a something else. And uh, eventually I, I dedicated myself that way because mm-hmm. I couldn't stand uh, what was going on inside myself. I mean, yeah, I'm working on something. I don't remember if we talked about it when we had lunch a few weeks ago. Uh, but um, it's called the, From the Movie of Me to the Movie of We. I'm doing mm. a thing with my friend Duncan, Duncan Trussell. It's just us talking about all of what we are talking about right now, which mm-hmm. is this causes and conditions that contribute to who it is that we are. Yeah. And, uh, and then we start to recognize that. And then we hopefully, as you just said, that is the, there's an impetus there that pushes us to do the kinds of things that allow us to, uh, as we talked about before, to embody kindness, peace, love. You know, the yeah. words that are <laughs> we've abused, but they're the only way for us to communicate, so there's not much to do about that. But, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, But what you're also describing is, is the fact that we all experience trials. And then there's this place where we have this experience and we make a new decision. In addition to finding my grandmother through that moment, refinding her and, and sitting with her those 10 years with my journal, there was a place even before she died where I was on the outer, I looked great. But on the inner, I was feeling like I need more. And I really started to plead in my prayers for more. And I didn't mind begging because it was just me and me by myself. <laughs> just, and I said, God, there's I this. and I. Yeah, I and said. I. That's right. Just I and I. And I said, you know, God, I'm going to need something. I need a teacher. Can you send me a teacher? And I prayed for a teacher for many, many years before I met my Sufi teacher. And maybe, maybe I'm that girl that needs three or four or five or six, but I knew I needed a physical. And I was very clear. I wanted, I want, I had the audacity to tell God what I wanted. <laughs> I want, I want a Sufi no. healer. I want a teacher. And I, and I want diversity. And I want, I want a teacher that works with white people. And I know for my, my friends are like, what? <laughs> why would you ask for that? And in, the, in that moment, I, I, I didn't know why I was asking for it. But I did have a white American Sufi friend that lived in California. And she and I loved each other so much. And I said, if it would be okay, God, can you send me a friend like Sarah? <laughs> mm. And Sarah's white American, just as white as American as, as anybody, you know, thin, tall, blonde woman, <laughs> like, you know, this, this picture <laughs> yeah. and, uh, just a beautiful soul. And we mm. fell in love, like with just this beautiful, beautiful friendship. Mm. And I wanted that. And I said, please, if you could just send me one Sarah, I'd be good. <laughs> mm. And then, and then, uh, not that long after I probably had my timeline screwed up a little bit. I met CD. And so when I had this moment of having CD and my grandmother physically alive for a while with me. 
CD being? My Sufi teacher. Sufi teacher. Mm-hmm. So I had did, both of these living teachers for a little while. No, wait a minute. I got my time going all mixed up. My grandmother died in 2011. I met CD in 2012. And it's isn't that interesting how I feel like I had both of them physically continuity. alive with me, but they oh. were not. They were not. It was a con- it was a con- it was continuity right there. She died in 2011. I had CD in 2012. Before my grandmother died, I actually was craving a teacher though. And then I Boy. had both of them. Talk about the universe speaking to you. You are very good, very good karma is um, happening I'm, over you there. You know, I, yeah, there's some good karma in this house, in this space, mm. but also with with my purpose, with what I'm supposed to do while I'm here. Because at this point in my life, Ragu, I walk around with both of them on my shoulder. Mm. I feel I, I imagine them chit chatting together. Neither one of them understanding the other <laughs> in their words, but just through their hearts mm. uh, and. They both guide me to the same message. Work for peace. Ask for forgiveness. Forgive even before that person asks. And every single person that challenges you is your teacher. Mm. Yeah. That's the hard one. That's, yeah. (laughs) His Holiness the Dalai Lama says that all the time. He talks about the Chinese in exactly that way. They are my Mm. teachers. You know, and again, how to live substantially in that place, not through end arounds that intellectually we think about it. And we do that because we're human. Mm -hmm. We get ahead of ourselves and so Mm. on. But, you know, we're always returning to how do we put this into effect? Mm. You know, how do we embody? That's the best word, embody. Mm -hmm. How do we embody this knowing that we are not going to be able to uh, to do it moment to moment because we are human. Until we are that being that has gone beyond duality, then we are subject to duality and subject to humanness. Yeah. So, yeah, that's always the big deal. It's a daily striving, it, and it involves daily practices. Mm. Yep. No. So... Um, Talking about purpose, and we mm-hmm. haven't talked about this at all. We did, of course, extensively in the last uh, podcast that we did. Mm. But uh, you have been doing recently uh, working with Jim and mm-hmm. the foundation um, on several different fronts. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of fronts out there. but There's not a shortage of trauma happening right now. No, it's just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Can you... Can you talk about um, a little bit of the work that you all have been doing in uh, with uh, people from Ukraine? And I know Jim went over to Poland. Yeah. Oh, Jim went to the Ukraine. So I want to clarify, Jim runs the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. Mm. Uh, he's the CEO and the founder. And, and Rosemary Lombard is the executive director. I'm actually not an employee of the center. I'm a contracted faculty member and I'm one of Uh the senior faculty. So there's many projects that I work on with the center. And then there's some that I work on on Mm. my own. So what I'm I'm working on with the center right now is uh, I'm not working on the Ukraine project. Uh And part of the reason, and I don't know why, 
this happen. But when Jim started to form this project, I said, I don't know if that's my project. It doesn't feel like my project. And I'm sure there's going to be something else that is my project. Uh-huh. And two things came through that are very clearly my projects. The first one was that mass shooting in Buffalo where, you know, 10 African-Americans were murdered for the crime of being black. <laughs> and uh, a significant number of them were elders. So I ended up going to Buffalo and really following Jim's lead in that I've been with him in so many places. I, I followed our model and I made some phone calls with community leaders. And I said, I want to come. I want to come and be of service to the healers that are working to heal the community. So while Jim was running around in Ukraine, I raced up the road to Buffalo. Uh-huh. So we started a project called Embracing Buffalo. Uh, two other faculty members at the center and myself. So we're sort of an offshoot, but we're still connected to the center. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've been, well, the first time we raised money, it was just me calling everybody I knew saying, give me 20 bucks. I need to go to Buffalo. 10 people got shot for being black. That's, that was their crime. And, and so people gave me money and I got enough for us to get airfare and accommodations, no honorarium, but we went. And many of the people that donated were my clients, my psychotherapy clients, which is the third leg wow. of my life. They, they were like, oh, Sabrina, I'll give you, I'll give you 80 bucks. I'll give you 100 bucks. I'll give you 500 bucks. So I went and I'm still working on that. We're still trying to raise money to continue to serve Buffalo. Because, you know, after the shooting, then there was this crazy blizzard and, and 50 black people yeah. died. And so they, it's been a nonstop. And there's another storm coming this weekend. Yeah. But life is a storm up there. And so that's one piece that I'm working on with the center. The other project that is like embedded in my body is the prison project that we started. Yeah, I was going to ask you about it. Yes. So those, that is what I'm focusing on now. The Buffalo Project, the prison project. And um, we got some funding. I don't know if I'm allowed to name foundations. Am I? Yeah. Oh, you can do okay. anything on a podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Absolutely anything. <laughs> okay. Well, the Simon Foundation, I think that's fair, donated enough money for the Center for Mind-Body Medicine to do work with the Indiana prison system. Mm. And so Jim and I shifted from virtual trainings, which is what we were doing for the past couple of years, to a real live training. And our first live training was with 20 incarcerated women. And I actually have the privilege of writing about some of that in my book because those women literally changed my life. I've been doing, I've been working with groups for 30 plus years and I never sat in a group of people who were so um, sincere remorseful, smart. They soaked up the information like little sponges and and so passionate about serving and changing and healing and growing. And some of these women have 89 more years left to go in their sentences. And some have four months. 
So we went to see them and they said, yes, we want to do this. And we had them have an experience of being in the group and looking at their lives, looking at their families, looking at their patterns Mm -hmm. and doing all the work that we've been doing on ourselves all these years, making amends, um, imagining talking to someone that is no longer here. They did all that work. Mm -hmm. And then I went back and taught them how to facilitate groups with other incarcerated women. And that group was more impactful than sitting with a group of physicians, lawyers, community organizers, any other group I'd sat with in the past. Nothing moved me more than sitting with those women. And so now I have the privilege of continuing to guide them and supervise them in facilitating groups for other incarcerated women. So I'm super excited about that. And so between those two things, that's all I can focus on right now. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, though, what either in Buffalo or in Indiana, just the first moment, one-on-one, you meet somebody Mm -hmm. and they're expressing deep, deep grief, Mm -hmm. remorse, whatever it may be, you know, certainly the kinds of emotions that if, if you're human and you're sitting with someone, and this is being expressed. Mm-hmm. Tell me what happens inside you in that moment. Well, what happens inside of me happens even before that moment. So when I'm aware of the fact that I'm about to sit with a person who is carrying a lot in their bodies and carrying a story that may have them trapped, I sit with myself and I ask my two guides, CD and Big Mama. <laughs> <laughs> You know, CDs worked in war zones and Big Mama lived in a war zone. And I tell them, yay, guys, I'm going in. What do I do? And they all say the same thing. Just sit with us. Sit with us. Give us 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Give us what you got. And then when you go in there, we'll tell you exactly what to do. (laughs) So when I go in there, I'm just ready to hold. I'm just ready to be, to sit, and to tell that person. Every emotion that you're feeling makes sense. We begin with that notion. Your emotions are innocent. What you do with those emotions might not be. Mm. But the feeling is innocent. And some of the things that you've done as a result, they make sense. And the question is, do you want to try another way? Do you want to change your patterns a bit? If they say yes, we give them some teachings. If they say no, we still give them some teaching. (laughs) (laughs) And I say, maybe you'll pick this up later. I don't know when the right time is going to be for you. But that is, that is it. Like the preparation comes before the presentation of that human being who has experienced something horrific. And I think there's also like this big, this deep knowing that the other person feels and they feel without knowing anything about me or any of the other folks that come with me, uh, they feel that, that, that they are understood. They know, oh, this person, this person has a story. They get me. And I'm also willing to take off my shoes and sit on the ground, which also makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. But basically we're back to listening 
That's it. Right. One of the chapters and, is shut up and listen. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I love that. <laughs> shut up and, uh, oh, what does she say? Shut up several times a day and listen to the sound of your own heartbeat. Yeah. Talk about that. That is, uh, that's number one on the hit list of what you can do when you're in a shitty moment. That's it. I mean, which happens all the time for most of us. All the time. All the time. So that, that's shut up and listen to the sound of your own heartbeat. Yeah. Can I use that, um, Sabrina? I have to use that. You can, can use get with it. Groups or something. Quote my big mama, though. I will. Absolutely. <laughs> Are you kidding? As long as she has the proper citations, you can use it. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's interesting. When she mm. told me that, that was right after I left a mass shooting down south and my daughter who was a teenager at the time um was struggling like these kids are going to school terrified i mean they still are uh, but this is when i had kids in high school mm. and i left a high school after a mass shooting i'm flying home and i got this command actually before i left and the command was Go straight to her. But on the plane, I'm really at a loss. And so I say at the beginning of that chapter, I met deep sorrow at 33,000 feet. Because mm. my daughter, my baby, my baby that I birthed was feeling the same depression, the same loss, the same fear that kids all over our country were feeling. And this is before COVID. And so she, her command to me was just, Sh shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go in there trying to fix everything. Go and listen. Just listen. And I say to her, I'd just be satisfied being a better mom. Mm -hmm. Basically, she says, it's okay. You can be. But you have to listen. Because your daughter is not you. So one of the other uh, chapters that I wanted to point out, because when we're talking about what are the things that one can do mm -hmm. to, again, embody love, caring, kindness, peace, compassion. And so one of the chapters is love yourself first. Mm -hmm. So that's worthy of you giving a little bit of a mm. talk around that because, and you know, mm. That is absolutely, without that, I mean, I uh, just recently went through a bit of a trauma, did something stupid, and, uh, you know, I got uh, a little bit of physical comeback on it. Mm. And um, I was being so judgmental about lack mm. of awareness in mm. particular. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was really beating myself up. And I've been doing this for decades, this work. And so I knew what was going on, and but for whatever reason, I just kept jumping into it. And, you know, having to do with identity and roles and all of that stuff that mm -hmm. Ram Dass talked about so much. Mm -hmm. um, but it was very difficult to actually turn back to that place where I'm not loving the... Uh, 
the loving that's coming is coming out of non-judgment mm. and not the not the duality of well you're okay you just screwed up or whatever uh the so the idea that the first thing for anybody in relation to transformation is the non-judgment uh, loving which ramdas called uh, it, it did a lot of around loving awareness where mm. you put yourself, you move from the story and the thoughts in your head into the center of your chest, into your soul, spirit, mm. whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And from there, you have a vantage point, which is uh, at the very lo- least makes you aware of non-judgmental um, relationship with oneself. So maybe you can expand on that. Ooh, you did a good job. <laughs> well, that in that chapter, that was uh, one of the most moving chapters that I wrote because it's about my grandmother and I having this conversation in which she says to me, I suffered and your mother suffered and we went through all this stuff. And a part of the reason why we did it is so that you could be born. And we didn't know how to love ourselves first, but we suffered and we worked through all of this so that you would know to love yourself first. And so she says that a couple of times, love yourself first. And it's obvious if you look at her story that she didn't have a model for that. Yeah, that's why it's incredible. Yeah, and then she modeled it for me repeatedly. And um, what I what I leave out in the book that was so so amazing to me is after her stroke, she was very she very often lived in care facilities depending on what was happening and who could you know who wasn't working and who could be with her 24 seven and so many things. Uh, She lived in this care facility. And I believe when she was younger, certain aides took advantage of her physically. So by the time she was in my care, (laughs) she was fearless. And this, this, this nurse came in, this male nurse came in to bathe her. And to this day, I'm sure he was a fine dude. Like he had no ill intention whatsoever. But Big Mama picked up her cane and she put it in his face. <laughs> now here she is, disabled, <laughs> can't walk, can't talk, can't scream. She puts her cane in this man's face and she puts it like right here on his neck. And she gives him this look and look is like, and so he he's terrified and he also doesn't want to disrespect her. And he leaves and he goes and he says, you know, Miss Briscoe doesn't want me to care for her, blah, blah, blah. And I come in and I say to the to the staff, I said, how dare you undermine her dignity? You call me upset because she put a cane to a man's neck when we told you when she got here. That she could not be touched by a male aide ever again. And so I looked at her. She looked at me. I knew she couldn't really hurt this person. But her eyes said, I'm not going down like this. I love myself. It's not going to happen ever again. And so there is that fire 
that mm. that that black women also have to carry. And and she taught me how to do both. Like you carry that fire and you make sure everybody understands it. And you don't have to use the fire <laughs> unless it's absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. And um, that example has been through my entire life. And I really do love Sabrina. Now she's a hot mess some days. She She screws things up. She's still struggling how to be a good wife and a good mom and a good friend. And I look in the mirror at her every day and I say, you all right, girl. Let's keep going. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Keep on trucking, they used to say. Absolutely. Yeah. So in the... Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm I'm thinking another thought because I really look forward to sharing that chapter with you, Raghu. Oh man, that was it, it. It's it's just this. I didn't expect it. Well, no, this next chapter about love yourself first. There's oh, sharing that one. Yeah, uh-huh. there's a yeah. there's a couple of stories in there that are just like, uh, just demonstrate what all the women in my family went through, so I could exist, mm. and how grateful I am to them. Ancestors. So, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So many. And my mom is still alive. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So in this uh, book that I've been working on, it, uh, how do we transform from the me-me land that we live in mm. in our story into we land and the idea that we know we are interconnected absolutely. And mm-hmm. once you know that, then nothing can be sort of the same as it was before. And I, so in the, just, we're just putting together like closing um, transformational uh, theme. And Mm. that to me was generosity. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually had done done a podcast with Ram Dass, just taking a talk of his and it was around generosity. Mm. And it was so clearly delineated the places in which we get so stuck in our heads about the quote unquote doing of something for Mm. somebody else and all the kind of motivations that we have that are many as a time coming from self-serving kind of motivations Mm -hmm. and so on. But can, do we, 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 we are good deep down inside us we are good and a lot of times people things happen you you don't think about it you just react like somebody tripping in front of you and you just fall towards them immediately you go towards them to hold them up and in that act you are no longer thinking about yourself and mm-hmm. having the 14, whatever the Buddhists say, 26,000 thoughts every mind moment or something. Uh, and, and suddenly that world of yours changes. And so, yeah, what, what is your connectivity and your mm-hmm. thoughts around that with generosity? Well, that's interesting because one of the things that she says in one of the chapters in speaking to me is, I don't remember the exact line, but basically it was, your life must be focused on service. Mm. 
There is no life without service. And the way each of us serves is different. But we have to be of service. And with that, we also have to give ourselves that service. But to, to, to hold anything or to believe that we own anything is a lie. It, it, it's not real. None of it. And one of the things that I learned from her and, and learned from, from CD and learned from, there's another story in there with a, a man who, whose wife calls me to her home randomly. I wasn't even friends with these people. Hmm. Calls me to her house and her husband's dying. And I get to her house and I'm, I'm literally with this man on his deathbed. Before that moment, I barely knew these people. And after that moment, she's my sister, right? Like her husband dies in front of me and I have to take care of her. Um, mm. but, but what hit me in that moment was, that's how I want to die. I, I want to die uh, without being attached to anything, without owing anybody anything. And without worrying about my stuff, my mess, like they wouldn't worry about any of it. They were just like, can you just be here and just love us? Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, it was the most beautiful experience. Wow. And, and that was me being generous. Like I didn't, I didn't give them anything. Right. She said, can you come? And I was like, okay. <laughs> right. I just showed up. No thought. No thought. It just felt right. Mm. And, and that's how I want to be. And that's what I want to witness. Yeah. It's not easy because suffering is there. It is. is and nature. love is risky. Yeah. I tell my clients all the time, love is risky. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? What's the opposite? Mm. So great to hang out with you, Sabrina. Yes. It's, it's really lovely. Yes. And, and just thank you, you know, for the kind of work that you do. And, and this book, just what I have of it, which is a smaller part of the whole, I, everybody out there, you get out and pre-order the book. I think uh, we're, we're in just about uh, March, let's say. This, mm -hmm. You'll be hearing this in early March of 2023, mm -hmm. and you'll be able to pre-order the book, and we're going to give you, Sabrina's going to give us the links to put in the show notes to enable you to do that, uh, because I, like I say, the, I only had a little taste, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it, uh, it changed my day, you know, and oh. all kinds of other BS going on. So, <laughs> So, yeah, no, thank you so much. And, and, and most especially the, the work that you guys are doing collectively mm -hmm. with Jim mm -hmm. and Hofshoot, mm -hmm. whatever it may be, mm -hmm. is to me the most important work, uh, service work that, that we can do. And, and I see in you, you know, because I know many people are doing all kinds of good works and mm -hmm. service yeah. is definitely a part of our traditions. It's called seva mm -hmm. in the Hindu thing. Mm. And uh, and uh, what Ramdas represented was while you were, he used to say to everybody, while you are doing seva, while while you are doing this service, however it manifests, 
you need to be doing the service on yourself, which means straightening out, (laughs) you know, and becoming more aware and seeing the motivations. And that's why mindfulness is a great practice. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And uh, yeah, everybody will have all of the different connectivities to Sabrina and the work she does. And um, yeah, just go to, this is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to Be Here Now Network and just the wonderful plethora of teachers and thought leaders are all there for you. And uh, again, you'll be connected with Sabrina if you go to the show notes and we will see you next time. Thank you, Sabrina. Thank you, Raghu. Peace and blessings. Thank you.